Welcome to this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate. I'm your host, Garth Sundem, Communications Director at MAPS. And today we're speaking about the future of Medical Affairs 2030 with Ariel Katz, co-founder and CEO of H1. This episode is sponsored by H1, whose platform helps life sciences companies, hospitals, academic medical centers, and health systems connect with providers, find clinical research, locate industry experts, and benchmark their organizations. So Ariel, uh, before we get into the specifics of what medical affairs is going to look like nine years from now, I'd like to start uh, talking about why medical affairs is changing. So what is driving this pace of change societally or technologically? Why are we going so fast right now? Um, uh, (laughs) I'll share my perspective. Well, thanks for having me here. Thank you for having me here. Uh, Excited to be here today with you. So I I think there are a lot of macro changes that are happening. Uh, COVID, obviously, but even before COVID happened, this was happening. Uh, COVID COVID helped. Um, And so the question is, why why is medical affairs growing so quickly? The perspective that I have is a few different reasons. One is science and medicine is becoming more complex. 20 years ago, medical affairs was not as prominent as it is today. Medicine and science was not as complex are hard for physicians and payers to understand the days of Lipitor and Humira, blockbuster drugs. That's no longer the future. And today that's not true. Combination therapies, immuno-oncology, gene therapies, all these new technologies, that it is more complex for all the stakeholders throughout the healthcare ecosystem, from payers to providers to systems to understand what that medicine is, how that impacts the health system, and what's the best clinical practice for their patients. Uh, the job of medical affairs is to educate them and disseminate that knowledge so that it could change clinical practice for the better of patients. When medicine was simple, it's pretty simple. When medicine becomes more complex, it's more complex. You need more people educating. You need more clinical studies. You need more peer-reviewed literature. You need more conversations. You need to educate more people. And medical affairs is growing to support that change, to support the more complex medicine. And medicine's only becoming more precise and more complex. And I believe medical affairs is there to educate and fill that gap about the latest therapy and the best clinical practice that's existing. So that's, I think that's one of the bigger macro trends that I've seen. Well, so as medical affairs, you know, becomes more essential in conveying the information of how to treat patients with, with complex, uh, you know, treatments targeting ever smaller diseases, is medical affairs having to adjust its practices as well? To, to meet that demand. Definitely. I mean, uh, like, I remember the first year that MAPS had a conference and the <laughs> hot buzzword was uh, social media. Oh, sure. Uh, and everyone was trying to realize how do I engage patient advocacy groups in social media? How do I engage physicians in social media? That was the talk of the town. And we're all changing uh, with new technologies, new way to access the end user, the end stakeholder. Uh, there's new ways that medical affairs needs to adapt the way that they're communicating. It's all about education and communication. And we're seeing that change. Um, new stakeholders, there's some new stakeholders that exist, parents, advocacy groups, nurses, all office coordinators, everyone. Well, let's unpack that because I think you've got about four topics in there. Let's go to social media first, because you, you know, you said MAPS first conference, the big buzzword was social media. 
I still hear the big buzzword being social media, but you speak about it as if, as if it's solved. So where are we with, with generating insights from social media? So I think there's two things that people were interested in. One was finding digital opinion leaders. Those are top healthcare professionals that have a, follow, a large following on social media, that they have a broad reach. And then the other one is understanding what's being spoken about on social media to drive your medical affairs strategies. And I would say both of those are on the precipice of being like business as usual and solved. Um, and you're seeing a lot of solutions out there today, which five years ago were like in its infancy. Um, and so companies like H1 and other companies have developed solutions to answer those problems for medical affairs teams. And so I know I'm talking as if they're solved, but in five <laughs> years, they're not going to be talking about it because that's going to be so it's solved. Like I see it happening today where the technology and the it's all available now to be used. It's just a matter of adoption of it. And everyone's bought into that, the need for it. Well, so then in five years, since we're talking about medical affairs in the future, what won't be solved? What's coming next? <laughs> so when I think about medical affairs, there's three pillars in my head. It's like, what are my medical strategies? What should I educate healthcare professionals on? Mm -hmm. Who are the stakeholders that I'm educating? And is my education working or what, what's missing? And I think we've been focused a lot about who are the stakeholders and how do I educate them on the latest therapies? I think what's going to happen is we're going to understand what is the impact of medical affairs. And if I look at this year's upcoming conference in 2022, a lot of it is about impact of medical affairs. It feels like the same buzziness that I felt about social media a few years ago. Impact of medical affairs is going to be, it, it's going to be solved, solved. There's going to be a compliant way to understand is your communication education actually educating the right stakeholders and changing clinical practice for the better of the patients? And then you need to understand what are the, what are the educational gaps that exist in the healthcare ecosystem for providers? Does a provider know when to use Infimzi in combination with Keytruda? Yep. Uh, I don't know. What if I told you 50% of the oncologists in the US don't understand it? That's interesting. I guarantee you Merck's gonna try and educate those doctors about it. And so I think there's a lot of gap in, in, in knowledge around that for medical affairs. So I think that that's going to be more of the, I'm seeing that become the new trend. How do you think about the impact of medical affairs in a compliant way? Well, that's interesting. You know, identifying gaps, it seems like uh, the old model of medical affairs was a little bit reactive where medical affairs would wait to be asked a question and then it would go out and try to answer that question. And are you saying that in the future of medical affairs, it may be more proactive where medical affairs is looking out into the information ecosystem and identifying those gaps even before they're asked? Yeah. And the way I view medical affairs changing, and if you speak to, speak to any C-suite at any top 20 pharma company, they're going to say these words, but maybe these exact words are different words. Mm -hmm. Medical affairs was a data dissemination engine. Yeah. Sure. Your phase two clinical trial, you disseminate the data. Medical affairs is becoming a data generation engine for their business. Uh, and so if you think about what example, MSL Insights drives changes in studies, drives changes in strategies, drives changes in a lot of things. So MSL Insights, understanding what the gaps are, and it's going to become that data generation engine to drive company level strategy. Uh, uh, and so I, I, I think everyone sees that happening. Uh, in a compliant way. I think everyone sees that happening. Um, and we see that happening too. If we think about what we're being asked by, by some of our clients. Well, let's go back to impact then. So if medical affairs is becoming a data generation function, 
you know, is I, I think people have been trying to measure impact and they've been looking at things like how our data dissemination is changing opinion or, you know, even, even, even metrics like, you know, share of scientific voice and things like that. But that's still mostly a communication metric, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where, where are metrics? So if medical affairs is changing to a data generation function, how are we going to show the impact of that? So uh, let's go through like, so yeah, I think share of scientific voice is also like the nineties, not literally, but like, it's like no longer, it's not the future. We're talking about 2030. It's not 2030. Uh, It's like the 2010s. Um, That's measuring if your outreach is working. Yeah, correct. Proxy. It's not the actual thing. So if you talk about a case study, just make up something, we'll make something together. Keytruda is best used for patients that are 85 to 95 that are experiencing non-small cell lung cancer. Uh, And the way it should be um, used in the community is in combination with chemotherapy. That's it. Say that's the thing. And we think that's the Merck thinks that's the best practice. So first of all, you want to know, you want to understand how many oncologists don't understand that and are using it incorrectly. And you could do that by looking at real world data. So now you know who to, who to chat with. Uh, You then chat with those people. And then you want to see if your education's working. Um, you, uh, and you could, you could do pre-approval as well, but you want to know, like, you should do this pre-approval. We want to know if your education is working and that you're seeing, um, proper diagnoses, you're seeing proper treatment, uh, for that therapy. And you could track that looking at medical claims data, looking at all these different things, not looking at prescriptions, it's not about prescriptions, but you can do it in a compliant way. And we're, and we're seeing the market and, and lots of companies start to ask these questions. Boy, that is so, that is so interesting you know, to, to be able to know who needs your information, not just sort of like the profile of someone who, you know, is an oncology opinion leader, mm-hmm. uh, but someone who perhaps y- you can see is not using a product perfectly. And doesn't understand it. Imagine if I told you, I could tell you every oncologist that asks the question, when's a good time to use Keytruda on my patients? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could tell you that exact question and who asked that. That's interesting. You need, they, they, have a, they are lacking knowledge. And I would, if I was at a pharma company, I would go and send my MSL to chat with them. Educate them. Well, and you're right that that's such a complex use of a targeted medicine in a complicated ecosystem. All right, well, let's, let's go back to, I think impact segues into strategy and you you know you you were saying that medical affairs you know used to be a very tactical function too you know we were the function that would put the scientific word out but we were we were pretty much given the scientific word and told what to do with it do you see that role of medical affairs changing are we are is medical affairs becoming more of a strategic partner it is like uh, we see that at, at all, most of the companies, we work with over hundred life science companies and almost all of them see that change. Smaller ones are a bit different, but all the other ones, almost all of them see that change. Um, it's actually incredible. I mean, we haven't, I haven't been in this world for so long, but just in the time that I've been here, things have changed. And you wanna know one of the main reasons why? Access. People like talking to medical affairs, the community stakeholders, it's different than our colleagues on the commercial side. Uh, MSLs have much better access. Um, 
than some other folks do because they have a peer-to-peer relationship. Uh, and we're seeing them generate information and data to drive strategy. And so we're seeing that change happen. And so what, what does medical affairs do with this opportunity? You know, where, where is medical affairs headed nine years from now, if you're almost eight years from now, as we talk at the end of this year for 20 <laughs> where uh, are we headed eight years from now? Like eight years ago is all around like, does medical affairs have a seat at the table? Yeah, the, right. They're there. Uh, like we're there. Uh, <laughs> and so it's a question of like, what is medical affairs bringing to that seat at the table? And what decisions are they helping drive? And what we're observing being help driven is what are phase four studies um, that they should be running? Cool. What, how do they think about trial design? How do they think about patient experience? How do they think about provider experience? How does mm-hmm. a provider think about therapy? Nobody else has access to that information besides for medical affairs, especially pre-approval. Those are crazy questions. Those questions are the most, with some of the most important questions when you think about your therapy and what you're developing. Um, and so those are just some questions we're seeing medical affairs have a voice at the table and, and start to bring. That's where you get the data generation component of medical affairs. So pre-approval. Now that's not a traditional role for medical affairs, is it? You know, I, I think traditionally it's been post-approval and teaching people how to use an approved drug better. What, what, what is the role for medical affairs pre-approval? We're, so we're at some of the larger pharma companies, we're seeing 20, 30 person medical affairs teams when there's a product that starts a phase three study. That was never, that never was the case before. Um, it's all around education and educating them about the study, trying to understand trial design, trying to understand the patient experience, trying to understand why they're not recruiting patients. Yeah. It's hard to recruit patients and medical MSLs are the best people to so try to understand who would be a good trialist, who'd be a good investigator, uh, trying to, and like working with your clinical counterparts. Um, we're seeing those discussions happen across the board, medical and clinical aligning, uh, to help drive strategy around this. Well, that is a, uh, that is quite a vision for 2030. I, I hope we have an excuse to catch up before then, but if we don't, we, let's catch up in 2030 and see if, how many of these predictions are. I know. Now, now it's in stones and digital stones. It's so a it'll digital be, stone. In digital stone. So I could re-record this to my kids in 2030 and see how wrong I was. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, boy, the, the more recordings our kids have of us to play back showing us that we're wrong. <laughs> so believe you me, I know it well. So thanks, Ariel, for joining us today. Uh, to learn more about how your organization can partner with H1 to unlock key insights and opportunities for industry engagement to create a healthier future, visit h1.co which, by the way, I think is the shortest URL I have ever mentioned, h1.co. And don't forget to subscribe. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate.